1: Welcome to the Hollywood Pipeline Podcast. I'm Dax Cole. I'm Adam Glenn. Dax, what's happening? Fans who are listening, thank you for listening. Subscribing. Dax, how are you, buddy? I'm
2: doing so good, dude. I just got back. I was in Tampa out there for a, like a little fantasy football convention, and it was it was crazy. We had um, you know, there's a, the trophy business I'm in. Had to go out there and kind of uh, make a little appearance, but uh, I'm back from that. It was fun. Got to see Matthew Berry and stuff, other big fantasy football peeps. But uh, I'm back. I'm in the grind. It's 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 been a good week. What about yourself?
1: I'm good, man. Things are good. This today I had a busy day. I, I today I was with uh, you know I, I interviewed uh, Jeremy Piven today. I actually. Uh, I was also with the the Bella Twins and uh, Nikki Bella, who are super cool. Like the Bella Twins are just fascinating. They're hot, they're cool, they're interesting. And then I was with, you know, I was with Soldier Boy last week. I was with Sparkles, with uh, Lil Duvall. I was with, Dean, uh, I mean, so many people. It's been really busy lately for me. Surprisingly, <laughs> I was going to say
2: you've been all over the place. I mean, that's great. And if you guys want to see, you know, we've got a lot of Adam's videos up on HollywoodPipeline.com If you want to check them out. Don't forget to follow us on uh, on Instagram, the Hollywood Pipeline, Facebook, Twitter, all of that. And uh, we got a pretty special guest today. Uh, very
1: special. Very cool. Very exciting.
2: I'm very excited. I have known this person for a very long time, back to the TMZ days. But we have Miss Lisa Lampanelli with us. So uh, hey. welcome. How are oh you? Oh my God,
0: Dax, what, I'm telling you something. When I got that text from you about doing the show, I was so excited. I, I thought it was Dax Shepard. <laughs> and I said, oh, and then, you know, it was this. And I, a was like, podcast. No. I was like, I was like. I already said yes to doing the podcast until I found out. And then I said, you know what? I can't go back on my word. However, Dax Shepard, if you're listening, I'm a very fascinating person. Have me on. Please. Because now I'm talking to Dax from TMZ.
2: So good. Oh, my God. I used to have Lisa come in and do the Dax chat at TMZ. And I, it was a good, like, just – 50 minutes of me just getting razzed there on public. It was hilarious. You've always been so good to me, and I appreciate it, and you're just such a funny lady. I appreciate your friendship.
0: Well, you know, you always had a good sense of humor about yourself. Like, you never got mad at me, even though I'd always say you were gay, and you're <laughs> kind of not yet. And, uh, you know, it's funny. I was like, wow, it's a shame I've given up insulting people because you were just at a fantasy football convention, and you have a trophy business. I mean, <laughs> you are the worst life I've ever heard. So thank God I don't insult people anymore. Adam at least interviews stars. What are you doing, Dax?
2: You know, listen, I'm doing stuff. I I can't talk about all of it, but I'm doing good stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? Somebody better be listening to this thing or I'm calling Dax Shepard and telling on you.
2: I love it. I love it. Oh man! So what have you been up to these days? I mean, we we know that you have now retired from stand up comedy. Which She's I, retired. Is, like what the hell? What I what? don't
0: think. I, you know what? I was talking to somebody last night, and they said I don't think anyone in history has ever retired from stand up. And I was like, well, I really needed to make a statement because it didn't feel authentic anymore. It didn't feel like it gave me the the joy it used to, even though I wasn't miserable. But like, who wants to live your life and just be not miserable? You want to have happiness. And I was like, oh, this stuff I've been working on with, like, coaching people and learning how to give uh, body image workshops to people who feel crappy about themselves. I'm like, ooh, that I feel joy about. So I said, you know what, let me cut the cord, go on Howard Stern, announce this, and then there's no looking back. And I got to tell you, Dax and Adam, there is nothing I miss less than doing comedy. Yeah, it's so good at
2: it, though. Like, I'm, I'm, like,
0: shocked. Well, the thing is, I had a very good role model for this. My father, who was a fine artist, said to me, before he passed away, this was a few years ago, he said... Just because you're good at it doesn't mean you have to do it because it ultimately means if you're not happy, eventually the audience is going to notice it. They're going to be like, oh, she's kind of phoning it in. So I said, rather than phoning it in, I'd rather either full out retire and do nothing and just sit at home and garden like some weird yenta or I'll figure out what I want to do. And it just kind of appeared to me that I needed to do this as sort of help with for people who are struggling like I did with this food and body stuff for so long.
1: Do you ever get the kind of you know? Obviously, stand up was such a big part of your life, and you depend on it really, you know, because it's that was your bread and butter. But now that you are not doing it anymore, do you kind of get anxiety that you are not doing it? Because so, in some ways, as a stand up comic myself, this comedy is like the gym, and if you don't go there, you kind of get depressed. But do you kind of get down that you are not doing stand up at
0: all? No. Oh my God. Literally. I haven't thought of it once until people ask, wow. because honestly, when you, when well, I'm the type I'm 57. So when I'm done, I'm done like in a good way where I'm so clear that it's not my vision and what I want for myself anymore. Like when I got my divorce from Jimmy big balls about five years ago, <laughs> I was so sure. And he was so sure that we're like, Oh, like there's no turning back. We're not mad. We are still friends. And it's like, Oh, you get out before you're miserable so you don't have any regrets. So now when I wake up and I look in my calendar and I'm like, oh, my God, I get to do coaching today or I get to give a workshop or I get to like tonight is my first motivational speech for uh, the Bariatric Surgery Society. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm doing something that is still funny and fun and I can really provide smiles to people. But it had more of a purpose for me right now. So stand-up comedy, I just felt like eh, it was a paycheck and no one wants to do anything just for a paycheck.
2: But when you when you do these conferences or these, these storytelling times, you're adding humor in though, right? Like, Oh, God, it's not yes. Like a, it's yeah. not like a totally different – Lisa, you're just not going out there for the main purpose of trying to just make people laugh. You want to have – to intertwine the two.
0: Exactly. So in other words, I have an essential part of me that enjoys lightening up a situation. So uh, I use the humor in speeches or in uh, these conferences or workshops. I don't make fun of people, you know, um, although that'd be hilarious to make fun of fat people when you're doing a workshop. (laughs) I know it's like this is called trial by fire, bitch. That's not (laughs) the way to do it. But yeah, there's no way I'm never going to be a not fun I can't forget that you're funny like it just happens and that's a good thing because your people go "Ooh, it really helped me to smile during the workshop because I felt like it wasn't hopeless that I have these issues and also in coaching you know it's really funny to point out my flaws to people dude I have so much wrong with me still and those are to me the best coaches are people who are still working on their stuff and you know if I got a guy who has anger management problems I'm like I'm right there with you dude I scream at everybody so I'm a work in progress, a person under construction, and so are they. And I go, oh, at least we can share that and be feel safe that we could tell our stories to each other.
1: Well, say, so Lisa, you kind of became famous as an insult comic. And the way things kind of have happened the past few years, you know, everyone's becoming so sensitive and they're so you know, people take things so personal. And again, your jokes are, you know, obviously you come at people, but you, you mean it with love. I mean sure. You're an insult comic, but you come out with love. Is part of the reason why you left stand-up because it just became so, it just became not fun anymore. People became so sensitive to all these jokes. Did that make
0: you less passionate about stand-up? Well, honestly, no, because I'll tell you why. Once you get your audience, like say, remember years ago, Rickles built an audience. Those people, no matter if there was political correctness in the 60s and this and that, Or even the the 90s, he was like, I'm still doing what I want in front of my audience. So I got lucky. I was almost grandfathered in to the insult comedy thing where, oh, she gets to say it because we know she's kidding. But I just then didn't feel like I was having as much fun as I should. So, yeah, I got very lucky, dude. Like, I didn't have to stop any of my jokes. Like, my last special was way worse than the specials before it. I go, ooh, this is good. I never gave up who I was and now I get to just step into, like, this different role and kind of still be who I am.
2: Now, are your because you went on Stern and you announced your retirement. So obviously a huge platform right there to let everyone know I am done. But, like, yeah. how did your fans respond to that? Because I can tell you from, like, my point of view, hearing it, it's like, oh, man, like – I, I I loved hearing you on the roast. I mean, you were just like the queen of these roasts, and so I gotta say, like, there's a little disappointment. But at the same time, if that's what's not making you happy in life, I get it. But like, what what is your other fans been out there Yeah,
0: saying? what was what was so funny about that is when I ran into Howard at the. I'm I'm not a I don't you know meet or see many celebrities that much because that just was never my world. But when I saw Howard at the Animal Shore uh, Animal League benefit uh, a few months ago he said to me, I go, Howard, thank you once again for changing my life because to have that platform was huge. And he goes, I know you're on a different journey and I know you have this vision. I'm so happy for you because you look so happy. He goes, but oh my God, he goes, please once a year, come out of retirement and do a roast for me. (laughs) And just hearing that made me so happy. And then I noticed that night when I did the announcement, I did a Facebook Live so that people could ask questions. Literally 50% were like, I totally understand it. I'm so interested in getting coaching from someone who can deal with tough love and with no non- who's no nonsense. The other, I would say 30% were like, if you be funny again. And 20% were like, hey, I'm sad, but I'm, you know, hey, I, I get it. So yeah. I I was like, man, I am so lucky. And I thought one of the biggest compliments that happened was I literally lost about 12,000, was it? I think 12,000 Twitter fans in a day. And I was so happy. I go, thank God. You're just trimming the
2: fat, huh? Just trimming the fat right off.
0: (laughs) Yeah, like those weeding out of people who aren't into it. And that's okay. Because when you're like me, you go, hey, I never worried who liked me before. I can't worry about who likes me now, and I want people to work on themselves and feel safe and happy. And if that's what I can do right now, that's kind of my mission.
1: Well, you know what's crazy, Lisa? You've had like a, you know, what people don't realize—you've had a long career. You worked as a stand-up comic so hard to get to that point where you actually made it. You know, like where you start to become successful because I remember you used to teach comedy classes in New York City. Yeah, You were a stand-up comic running around New York City trying to get $20 spots. But what was the thing that – what was the turning factor in doing stand-up? What was the point which really made a difference? Like, wow, I'm like – I'm here. I'm in the business. I have a career. I'm a – a little bit of a celebrity, I'm um, known. What was the turning point in your career for that?
0: Well, I remember the first time I ever showed up at a club that I had the weekend sold out and I couldn't figure out why was um, right after the Pam Anderson roast aired. I show up at the Punchline in Sacramento and they go, You're sold out all six shows. Do you want to add, get this, add a fourth show Saturday and a third show Sunday? Oh my which gosh. I go, Why am I sold out? What's happening? Like I thought there was a festival or something in town and they go, no, the Pam Anderson roast aired and everybody cool watched it. And I'm like, Oh, great. And that's when I made the jump pretty soon after that to theaters and never went backwards. And then I started selling out radio city, Carnegie hall, like places that you just go, Oh my God. And then went a ton of TV. But I would say I have Pam Anderson to thank. And I do love her for having that roast because that's what made people go. Who is this crazy bitch?
2: Lisa, That's so cool. We've got something in common. Pam Anderson basically helped me get into my career too. Get no out. way did she? No, she, no she joke. Do? She was the first person. So when I when I met Harvey, it was before Teams even launched, and um, he, I, I went up to him. I was like, "Hey, I'm really interested in doing something. I hear you. You know, you're good with interns, and you got something going that you're starting." And he's like, "Yeah, you want to go and do a red carpet for me?" The first red carpet that I did was a PETA red carpet. And Pam Anderson actually came over and chatted to me on the red carpet. I took that video back and Harvey looked at me. and was like, how the hell did you get Pam Anderson to talk to you at the very end of a line, at a PETA line, when you got all the other big entertainment outlets out there and no one has ever heard of TMZ? And I said, like, I don't wow. know if she came over. And I credit her for a lot of being able to get into the industry because he hired me like the following day. See? Wow. That's,
0: you know, that's interesting. And I also have a theory on why she talked to you because you look like a non-threatening gay guy. <laughs> because she said I can talk to this guy he won't stare at my boobs. I'm pretty oh sure God.
2: the rest of the car- people on the side of the car would probably look
0: exactly the same way. That's probably true. You know what's really f- it, it, it's funny how like people affect our lives and we just don't know it. Like you know, I'll get an email once in a while, like, well, a lot now, now that I'm sort of open about all this stuff is, you know, oh, I got, you know, saw that you got bariatric surgery and I lost, uh, I got surgery and kept my weight off and blah, blah, blah. And I go, wow, it's so good to once in a while affect people's lives. So I hope Pam Anderson knows because chances are she's not listening to this crummy podcast.
2: Wow. Wow. you t- you You'd be stop surprised. It. She is listening. <laughs>
0: she's
1: one of, <laughs> Pam, she's I one of our, uh... she's okay. our next,
2: next week she's well, coming on the, the chat.
1: Oh well, look God. who just came into the studio. It's Pam Anderson. Pam, how you doing? Good <laughs> to see you. Oh,
0: my goodness. No, well, kidding. Pam, if you're listening, I want to say Dax and I both have to thank you for changing our lives. And people never know that. Like-
1: Me too. That porno, was that was the first <laughs> porno I saw, her and Tommy Lee. So I. Okay, and this is why life.
0: people hate you. I mean, <laughs> yeah. No, no. But isn't it funny, you know? I love that, that she really did something for us. And you know what's funny, too? I think a large part of the reason people watched that roast was, I don't know if you guys remember, Courtney Love made the news from that roast. Oh
1: my God! Remember, she was all she over was the all place, high, mm-hmm.
0: and she acted like a real mess and was stumbling and just being a total. Oh, she was just a mess. And how was
2: that, that different from any other Thursday thank in you. her week?
0: Oh my God! So what was great was she. She was on CNN about it, and of course, then people were like then we got to see this roast. So I really owe a lot to her too, even though she. Oh my God. She came, I'll never forget, she comes into the makeup room all messed up, and she's like, make me look like Marilyn Monroe. And I (laughs) saw her on TV, and I was like, I think they thought she said Marilyn Manson.
2: Not (laughs) sure. (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh no. See what happened? I slipped back into inside comedy.
2: <laughs> I so, swore. <laughs> I love this. So who who else have you ran into over the years that you've like that have left like a pretty big impact on you? Like either just like a funny moment or yeah, something yeah. bad with like celebrities. I love these little like behind the scenes celebrity stories.
0: Well, I'll tell you what, very early on, I ran into this Kathy Griffin. Well, Ooh, okay. Kathy Griffin. I loved her because she was on that D list show and I loved that she made fun of herself. She emails me and she's like, Can I come to see your show in Vegas? She got my name from the agent or whatever. This is what I loved so much because she came with her boyfriend at the time. They come backstage and she is shaking her head. She goes, How do you do it? Because I think she's so bold, you know? And she goes, How do you? She goes, I know I call my gays gays, but you call them. And she named the whole string of stuff I called gay guys at the time. And she goes, well, how do they get how do you get away with it? I know, Kathy, it's called innate lovability. <laughs> <laughs> but it was so cool that she was like, I am so in awe of that. And it's so nice when a celebrity once in a while freaking compliments you. Yeah. You know?
2: well, it's it's funny that you say her because she was always getting in so much trouble for like Telling the celebrity jokes, like telling jokes about run-ins that she's had with celebs. Like she had such a hard time like kind of navigating through Hollywood because of that. So it's funny that she's like, how do you get away with saying stuff? Because she was the person that – how do you get away with saying stuff?
0: I'm telling you. I think people are funny because they never – they're fascinated by other people. Like me personally – I'm really smart. I did go to Syracuse University, so I have a decent degree. Plus, I did these like little summer programs at Yale and Harvard because they always like let me in for six weeks in the summer and then get rid of me by the fall because I'm not that smart. (laughs) But I'm bright enough. But this is what I always do. I always meet like super intellectuals and writers and I feel so like less than them. And I'm always like, oh my God, how do you write so good? It's like, well, first of all, you started by not saying so good. Okay, how's that? <laughs> but it's it is fascinating how we always put ourselves up against other people and they actually admire us too. So I think that's what was funny, is that I'm sitting there going, Oh my god, Kathy, you're a genius with the storytelling. And she's saying I'm a genius because I can call them all uh, 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 sperm burpers, you know. So that's that's one for your files. (laughs) Oh my god! Yeah, but I've been pretty lucky because I've never met anyone who's been a total douche, except if they had no idea who I was. Like, I remember running into some actor once, and I think he was the guy. <laughs> this was hilarious. It was at the post office when I was still poor enough to do my own errands. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and this, I ran into the guy, Dan Hadaya, who played clueless's father you know alyssa Silverstone's.
2: oh big father. a-list actor
0: well yeah and i was like <laughs> i love that movie like with a passion and i remember going up to me because i had just become a friar a member of the friars club i was like oh my god this guy is like such a well-known actor i'm gonna say hey you know are you a friar and if not you know we'd love to have you for dinner you know as our guest <laughs> I go, excuse me i'm a big fan from clueless and you're like yeah and i go um I, I just wanted to ask you if you're a Friar. He goes, I don't join that stuff and ran out. Oh, my God. Like, okay. Someone <laughs> needs to take a pill because I was just offering dinner, even though it's at the Friars. I mean, yeah. And I think it's it's sometimes the smaller they are, the crazier they are. That is so true. The people I've met have been pretty cool.
2: Who's like the biggest, most famous person that's come up to you?
0: Well, it's obviously Howard. And he, has, he hasn't Howard, come up to me. Sure. I mean, I've gone on the show, but he's been such a gentleman. And do you? What's you know, that?
1: I was gonna say. I mean, Donald Trump. Oh you yeah. With Donald Trump,
0: right? Yeah, but I don't like to include him in anything lately. But speaking of Donalds, though, you know who met me once and remembered me the second time, which was astounding, was Don Rickles. He literally okay. The Friars Club knew that I really you know loved insult comedy. I wanted to be one, and they go, "Why don't we set you up to just meet him and get some advice from?"
2: the Dunn legend Rickles. i'm yeah.
0: like are you kidding me so i drive down there with my parents to see a show we go backstage and oh my god it was like the 1950s it was so cool he had on the bathrobe over the suit with the jack with the little uh, monogram on it the wife was there and he goes you know they tell me you do this thing like i do all i can say is be clean because you'll work anywhere. And like me, I'm a student of comedy. It's only seven years. I'm into the business. I go, yes, Mr. Rickles. Yes, Mr. Rickles. And inside I'm thinking, oh, F you stay clean. What do I want to do? Play a bar mitzvah. So <laughs> but I'm like, I can't like me. I'm a cursor. I've always cursed. I still do. So I go at, eh, you know what? I'm going to take this advice. I'm going to show him I can't do it. And that's it. But then when I met him at his book signing years later, he's like, "Oh, you're the one, you're Lisa." And his his uh, promoter reminded me of uh, him of my last name, and he took pictures and hugged me. I was like, "That's is awesome!" That this genius remembers me. So those kind of things make you feel so good. cool.
1: Uh, did you meet his old manager, yes, Tony? O, that by was any Tony chance? who
0: said, "Don, remember Lisa Lampanelli? He's like, "Oh my god, of course!"
1: So yeah, that's so cool. Tony actually introduced when I, this is about ten years ago. You know, I hit up. uh, I you know for some reason we met. I met Tony through friends, and he goes, "I'm going to bring you to Don Rickles." And I went by myself to Atlantic City, and he brought me to backstage. And Don was working with Joan Rivers at the time, and brought me backstage to meet Don and Joan. And it was so cool. And he was just like, "Oh, you're a young comic," and he was just so nice and just like just kind of. It was so and so old. You're right with the tuxedo hanging, the 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 robe. It was just very. It it was a great. Did he tell you to stay clean? He, he, you know what he did, which was so I got so nervous because I didn't know what what it was like. Because we're in Atlantic City, it's not like a celebrity. I was, you know, it wasn't like a celebrity type crowd. So I think he was literally just yeah. bored. And he's like, "Oh, here's a young comic coming back to say hi." And uh, Tony Tonio brought me back in and say, "Hey, to, you know." And uh, Don, I guess he might Tony probably told Don about me before I came in, and Don was just ready to go. Like I feel like he was like queued yeah. up. And, like, he was waiting for me just to, like, rip on me and make fun of my sneakers yeah. and, my, my, like, how old was I to be there? It was just so cool. But it was one of those, like – and I got to go to, like, four or five Don Rickle shows and got to know him a little bit. I was, I'm a, I was and still am a nobody, but at least he – it was – I mean, literally, it was just so cool to even think about me. and he was, he was so appreciative to have a young guy yes. know about him and appreciate him, and I think that's what he liked the most. Like, hey, here's a new guy on the, on the scene. But I
0: was just so uh, – that I respected him yeah. so much. He just Yeah, loved because that. I think sometimes people – I mean, no one was ever really dismissive of him because he was such an icon. But, you know, some of those older guys didn't get the respect they deserved. And A lot of the older yeah. guys at the Friars and stuff like Freddie Roman and those guys. And you just go, man, those were power hitters. Like those were guys who every joke had to be a haymaker. Like they would not – that's how I learned to do roasts because at the Chevy Chase one – Every joke, I was like, okay, it's my first roast. I have to make this really be impactful, so I could be invited to do more. And then after that, it was like every joke has to be a plus haymaker, or else it gets cut. And that's the kind of humor those guys have been doing forever. So it's a shame some of them didn't get that respect. But uh, well, that's why you're so good. I
1: mean, I go, that's why you're so good at it because you know uh, when you make jokes they're strong but they're, there's a charm to it and i think that's the so that's the the, the thing that's so great about it cuz you see a lot of amateur comedians roast each other now you know and it becomes so that's mean awful. but you would do it that it's like there's a charm to it it's fun it's funny it's witty it's not like hey you suck you're just a shit it's just like there's it's just you're just there's there's that's what makes it that's what makes a difference between a professional And an amateur. That's, you know, again, it doesn't come off mean-spirited. You, Jeff Ross. But let me ask you this. With all the roasts you've done, I mean, you've roasted Chevy Chase, Dennis Leary, Pam Anderson, and Donald Trump. I I know a lot of these people say, especially someone like Pam Anderson, like there's like, hey, these topics, you cannot make, you cannot joke about it. Do you remember by any chance what topics you weren't able to talk about with Pam Anderson sure. or Donald Trump or oh, Chevy yeah, Chase? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Chevy Chase didn't have any things you couldn't talk about. That was like in the beginning of the roast on Comedy Central when the Friars were still co-producing it. And that's, by the way, how I got on because the Friars Club said to Comedy Central, you know, we'd like her on. And they're like, we don't even know who that is. And they're like, you will. Don't worry about it. And so that's, thank God I had a break. Um But then um, with the Pam Anderson one was when I think they started letting people make a few rules. And Pam's was that she didn't want us to joke about she and Tommy Lee having hepatitis C. And my whole (laughs) feeling was always like, don't even joke about it because it's going to get cut out. Like, what's the point? You know, but I had one that I had written just to do in my stand up act after that was something like um pam anderson and tommy lee got married they registered at bed bath and beyond in the center for disease control <laughs> so i like having jokes that like you could do later and say here's the ones i couldn't do um bill Sh- william shatner's um one was you couldn't a uh, joke about his wife wake- being dead in the pool remember he had a wife they found dead oh. in the pool? so i love that we couldn't joke about that somebody did but I can't remember. And then Trump's big one was you couldn't talk about his bankruptcies.
2: Wow. Yeah, He
0: was really resentful of anything about money because, you know, it's an embarrassment. It's a source of real shame for him. So I didn't again, like, I'm not going to waste my time. I always had this rule too, for roasts. I go three fucks and one cunt per roast (laughs) because they're going to cut it out and you don't want them the bleeping is okay four times because it's really needed those four times, but don't be like this F and this, this, that it's no good. Cause they're going to cut it out. You're a better roaster. If you kind of can go, Ooh, you know, I, a well-placed bleep is amazing.
2: Okay. Lisa, I got to ask if you were able to roast Donald Trump, would you come out of retirement?
0: No. Cause I'll tell you why I roasted him twice already. And He actually had a great sense of humor both times, but now he's something happened where he lost his sense of humor and he's a total narcissistic D bag. So it's just like uh, somebody asked me yesterday, believe it or not, this is pretty funny. This uh, gay journalist who's awesome asked me, he goes, would you ever life coach Donald Trump? And I said, absolutely not, because he thinks he knows everything. He's always right. Narcissists think they have nothing they need to change. So it's going to be really frustrating for me so I wouldn't waste my time. So there's a lot – not a lot I'd be in a room with Trump for right now. Maybe the execution. <laughs> god, that, oh just god. kidding. Nobody should kill anybody ever. <laughs> Hashtag <laughs> JK kidding.
1: Oh,
2: my god, Lisa.
1: See, but, could Trump handle a joke though? Do you think he loved – why did he love – I mean he roasted I him think, twice. I, did he love being I fun? I actually think he, he
0: just liked the attention. I said back when the roast happened that he was like Charlie Brown's teacher – he would just he, he'd hear womp, 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 Donald Trump and he'd just laugh like because he was getting attention. So he wouldn't even know that he wouldn't even be listening to the jokes. He'd be just like, oh, I think it's time to laugh now. So, you know, that's what happened.
2: What, what would you hit on today if you if you were going to roast him right now? What would oh, you I hit had on? A
0: great joke I used to do when I was still doing comedy. I said some. I wrote some Trump roast jokes new. I go, oh, you know, Trump care. They wants to replace Obamacare with Trump care. Trump care is so bad for women that Caitlyn Jenner called her doctor and asked for her penis back (laughs) (laughs) and stuff like, you know, for a guy who doesn't want foreigners, why does he keep marrying them? And that was like, kind of wasn't even a punchline, but I was like, it still got a huge laugh. (laughs) So yeah. I mean, all that stuff. It's insane.
2: Oh my God. I love that. You can get away with this stuff. No one else can say this.
0: I know, but you know what's wrong now is like, I have, Still, the funny bone in me, but I know that really isn't advancing the good in the world. So, (laughs) like the insults. So, the only time I've regretted not insulting people anymore was two weeks ago. I was watching the Critics' Choice Awards. And I said, cause I used to live tweet during all of them and make fun of everybody and the outfits and these women and the, the me Too's and this and that. And I go, Oh my God, I was chomping at the bit and I go, I can't do it anymore. I'm not allowed. I'm not, I'm not snarky anymore, but to, to get it one day out of the rest of my life, I think I'll handle it.
2: <laughs> Did you ever get nervous? Like, cause you, I'm assuming you had never met Pam Anderson before right. you're out there roasting her. Right. So like, is, do you ever get nervous? Or you're like, I don't even know this person and I'm going to just cream them with all of these jokes.
0: Uh, no. And I'll tell you why. Because I always knew I didn't mean them. And I think that's the difference between a bad insult comic and roaster and somebody who's good at it is that I honestly really mean if you can't make fun of everybody equally, don't do it because it means you don't like some group. So if I had left a group out, like I always joked, you know you roast the ones you love. So if I'm roasting every ethnicity and plus myself, then we know I don't mean it. So I always used to joke. I said, that's why I never make any French jokes. Cause I really hate them. <laughs> but, <laughs> but no, I think like all it has to be an even thing. So I would always go, well, they volunteered for the roast, but I'll tell you some insight. And I should have noticed this cause I would have quick comedy a long time ago to notice what a softy I am. I would get up there and I was at the Pam Anderson roast and I am telling you, I don't think I ever told anybody this. There was a couple of comics that got up there, and I'm not kidding. They literally had a million very mediocre jokes about her down below and her being a whore. I saw something in her face. And I'm telling you, I should have noticed back then I was sensitive because I... Looked at her face, and I you know when a woman is, or even a guy is trying to hold a brave face, but they really want to cry. That's mm-hmm. how I felt she was looking. I could have been wrong, but I don't think so. Well, so I think she, e-
2: even the most famous people in the world, even hearing all this crap throughout their entire life, they probably, you know, deep down are going, This is not true. Like you may think about it, but it's not true. I can imagine her being really hurt by a lot of those it's, things. Of course. And it's,
0: it's sad in a way because she volunteers to do this thing for a donation to PETA and then. But see, she didn't mind the good jokes. It was these like, kind of like, I always said to guys, stop doing nine mediocre jokes about somebody's down below and and do one great one and then move on. And then everybody laughs. But she looked uncomfortable. So they go to commercial. She looks at Tommy Lee and she has that fake kind of smile on like the brave face. He looks at her and he mouths, are you okay? Like, are you okay? He mouths. And she like knew I was looking or somebody was looking. And she goes, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, fine. And I go, that's it. And I took a freaking pen. And you always see me during the roast if you watch carefully. I have the scripts because I'm always going last and writing stuff. I crossed out every Pam Anderson joke except the two that were really mild. And I go, fuck these assholes. And I did my whole set on them instead because wow. I was so mad. And again, I'm no freaking – oh, that doesn't make me some big hero, but I wish I would have noticed that. No, but I Ooh. think that
2: it's so fascinating to hear that you were in the middle of the show. You could sense that and oh, you're like, so I got to switch it all around.
0: Oh, I got so mad. And I think it's because with some women, they have that brave face – and they didn't ever know how to kind of have boundaries or there's something. And I just sensed there was pain. And I go, you know what? It's it's not cool. And I loved the jokes I did about her. They were super cute. And they got they were on com- the commercials and everything. But then I go, good. Now I get to really hammer so-and-so and so-and-so. That felt awesome. So, again, it's just noticing what you like, what you gravitate to- towards. And I don't want to cause anybody any trouble. What What's the point of doing comedy for
1: no, absolutely.
0: You know, I always thought it was interesting
1: with the roast. They always had celebrities roast. And I don't know how I – when I mean celebrities, they oh, would yeah. have actors or someone sure. random roast. And I always found that a little interesting because obviously they didn't write their jokes. And that to me – me personally, I didn't find that to be fun. I like to see the comedians roast each other. I mean what was great about like the old uh, – Dean yeah. Martin roasts because they are friends roasting each other and then you had you threw in some oddball actor when they went on to Comedy Central and they're roasting and it was just kind of not fun because you knew they didn't write the jokes they're just kind of talking about with some other writers or whatever their friars wrote the yeah show. well I'll
0: tell you but, I'll tell you how that happens that I started to realize who are they picking? Like one time they had the situation for Donald Trump. Oh he, follows, he was right? bad, yeah. That poor that poor guy. I felt for him too, but I didn't hold back. <laughs> that guy just <laughs> I was like, he's gotta come and he's a reality guy. Um but then they would have, which I thought was pretty good, then they'd have like Maureen McCormick or Betty White for some other people. And you know what I figured out? Okay, they ask whoever is going to make people tune in. So that year Maureen McCormick's book was really in the news, Jersey Shore, this and that. So you go, oh, okay, I get it. So you get why. It's watch. It's whoever's going to watch. Well, if an actor gets up there and practices, I don't care if it's not their material because Betty White And, like, Cloris Leachman and Maureen McCormick, they were so goddamn – and Snoop, Snoop Dogg. I was going to say, Martha
2: Stewart was awesome.
0: Yeah, they they literally practiced. Like, you saw Betty White with the script and practicing and being a real pro. But when you throw somebody up there, you can't freaking not practice. Like, you got to be good. So I always thought they had, like – the real comics then you got the celebrities who kind of practice and then the a-holes who don't even bother bother to rehearse and go dude you better hope they cut you out of this thing it's embarrassing i mean situation was maybe the worst case i've never seen anybody booed at a roast
2: (laughs) well he was gonna be booed probably no matter what
0: that's (laughs) true do you think he was
1: yeah i always thought do you think they kind of made it for maybe strategic ways or PR ways to make them
0: purposely bomb. I have faith in Comedy Central that they wouldn't do that to anyone because he was a total pain in the ass. Like he basically showed up with no suit and they had to go out and buy him a suit. I mean, who does that? You know, I I would spend, even as a fat bitch, I would spend, you know, $5,000 to get a dress made so I wouldn't look like a freaking barrel. This guy can't buy a suit. So, you know, it's that kind of thing where you go, I resent that, you know? Um, But no, I don't think they would have set him up. But because if he had done the jokes and practiced them, they weren't that bad. They weren't awful on paper. They were awful for not rehearsed and not at all, you know, sort of delivered correctly, you know. And again, it didn't hurt him, but it's really great to make fun of him about those things. He got mad at me on Twitter once for making fun of him about it, and I had to apologize.
2: (laughs) Oh, my God. Do Do you go up after like a roast and do you apologize to the person and be like, I am so sorry. You know that I didn't mean any of this.
0: Nope. Guess what I do? It's better. I go up and I go, thank you so much for being such a good sport. Cause it's really, I'm not sorry. Cause you know, you volunteered, you got your paycheck. And honestly, other than this, this is what I found great. Hulk Hogan, I think said to my husband at the time, he said to him, brother, brother, your woman is deadly she's horrible like but he likes me like because so i said some awful things to him and uh again those were it's just kind of fun it's a nerve-wracking night because again having to go last a lot you kind of are crossing out jokes and rewriting and this and that but then you go at eh, you know what i can do it like i'm never gonna bomb at one of these things i'm too self-disciplined and uh but i think that's the thing too is once you do enough of them you go eh do I have to do this again? Do I have to reinvent the wheel? Except like when Howard asked me to do it as my last act of comedy to do my last roast, then it's worth it. You know?
2: Yeah, absolutely. No. so Listen, we could literally talk to you about comedy for the the rest of time. Uh, I want to get up more into your, your life coaching, your change of career. Um, So like, tell me, tell me more about like doing these life coaching events or storytelling events. Like what are you doing?
0: Well, legitimately what happened was I started after my dad died, I started taking and participating in a lot of workshops about grief and about, you know, emotional, different emotional issues and this and that. And, you know, a lot of them had elements that I didn't love, like yoga or meditation, but a lot of the journaling and guided imagery and uh, the group discussion and just all this self – Sort of s- s- finding some self acceptance and acceptance of life in general. I was like, "Oh, this is really making my life better." I bet I could do this about food and body image for women and for men too, because a lot of men have this stuff. So I decided to get a certification on how to give workshops that would help transform people's lives into a little more peace. All they all they get all they get promised after a workshop with me, which is like six hours in a Saturday or a weekend or whatever is that if you do this workshop, you will have a little more peace around food, body image, or anything else you're trying to change. I'm not offering you to lose weight. I'm not promising anything. I'm just saying, do the work. You're going to have some peace. And that's all we really want is joy, serenity, and peace. So um, there are workshops that are all over the country I'm doing. One's called Love Your Body, Feed Your Soul. One's called When It's Time to Change, of course, named appropriately after the Brady Bunch song, When It's Time to Change. And we're kind of traveling around the country and doing them to just sort of help people with their issues. I love it. And also, uh, since I can't leave the stage fully, I do storytelling events, which is uh, sort of me and a bunch of actors or comics or whoever wants to do the show at the time. You know, talking about similar issues, but in a funny way that's also heartfelt. Because the only real difference between stand-up and storytelling is, you know, it has sort of a a full story at the end. It's a it's stand-up with a point, so mm-hmm. people are still laughing hard, but they at the end of the night go, "Oh, I get the point. Oh, I feel less alone. I don't. I'm not the only one going through that." So I like that it has kind of a full circle thing.
2: Now, do you think? Sorry,
0: well, go
1: ahead, Adam. Yeah,
0: no, Dax. I, I was gonna say, just you know, how do you feel ever since
1: you know since you started this self discovery um, state part of your life? How do you feel personally different? Like in the past, since you retired from doing stand up, do you feel better? Do you feel stronger? Do you feel healthier? Do you just feel more like weight off your shoulders? I mean, how do you? Well, feel? I feel. Like, you know, I feel this-
0: way more at peace because there's nothing I'm doing that I don't love. Um, I don't love every second of every day like I just uh, since I'm doing this speech tonight you know I just had a rehearse and you know that's stressful just to rehearse at all but you go but the event gives me joy and then the piece around looking I said one of the best things about this change is I look in that calendar of mine and there's a one thing I look at and go, Oh my God, I, I, I can't even do that. Like I'm so, I, I don't want to do it. Like everything I look at, I go, Oh, I can't wait. I'm not since not since open micing 30 some years ago. Did I feel like, Oh my God, I can't wait. And you know, what's weird. I do a lot of individual life coaching. I do it all over the phone or Skype or whatever. Cause it's people all over the country. And like, I, after I hang up, I just start laughing because I go, the tools I pull out of my ass. Since I'm getting trained in this, and you have a ton of tools that you use with people, I'm like, how does making them feel better make me so happy? And I think that's what it is. That that whole like, joy and gratitude and all that stuff has really found their way in. When I used to suck at all those things, I used to. Okay, you know how they say people are glass half empty or glass half full. Mm-hmm. My ex-husband used to say, you're not even glass half empty. You're that Dixie cup with the point on the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> it don't even stand up. And he was right. I didn't understand gratitude. I thought it was bullshit. And now I just am like it, like a fleeting through. A, I, I mean, it's like a, an arrow goes through my head where it goes, wow, I'm so lucky. And I go, where'd that come from? Because I just go, you just start feeling it the more you practice it. And it's not corny anymore. It doesn't sound corny anymore to say I am fortunate as fuck.
2: That's so well. I'm glad that you've hit that point in your life. You know, like oh. you know, I it's I, I I sit here and I think like, well, I would love to see her again do stand-up, but I feel that you're in such an amazing point in your in your life that I'm like. I'm just happy for you. I'm happy uh, for you and for what you've accomplished. I'm happy that, you know, you you transformed your body and I feel that that was a big part of you living this healthy life.
0: Yeah, and changing your outlook. Right? It definitely what started the ball rolling because I couldn't fix the inside without just going let me get this outside and the depression that comes with it out of the way. Like I would eat Be depressed, look in the mirror, eat more, be more depressed. You know, it just was an endless vicious cycle. And now that I'm the stunning, uh, beautiful creature that I am, clearly I'm a piece of ass. People wanna know how I did it. They want to know what's sick about that, you guys? Like legitimately, I finally accepted that I'm okay the way I am. Like, hey, I'm never gonna win a beauty contest, but when I post something on Instagram, I go, Oh my god, that's cute. Like, who doesn't want to feel at least they're good enough?
1: Yeah. Well, Lisa, I got two questions. I love this topic. I love self help. I love reading about it. Two yeah. questions, real quick. If you could recommend maybe three books that were a really big game changer or like, you know, really meant something to you as far as in that genre, what would you recommend? Oh, my recommend? God. I
0: love that you asked that because I have no stake in the game. So I love telling people what changes your life. When we deal with food and with with um, chain, making changes, like a guy or a divorce, or a job change, or a career change, you have to mourn the loss, meaning any change leads to loss. of some, Even if it's a change you want to make, you still feel a loss, and you have to grieve it, or it's still not going to be healed. So there's this book called The Grief Handbook, and it is literally about any change, anything that falls away from your life, that you really go, Oh my God, I worked through the grief and there's exercises and there's all these things that you do to get you to where. cause nobody grieves the same. There's not, there's no timeline. So that's an amazing book. A different one is this book. Oh, my God. It's called radical acceptance by Tara Brach, B-R-A-C-H. This is amazing because my friend Vicki, who's also a coach calls it, calls life the six degrees of worthiness. It's about, Anytime we have an issue, it goes back to, I don't feel like I'm enough. I feel like I'm broken. And this is all about solving and fixing that broken part of ourselves. So that's those two were the hugest books in my life. They really changed everything. And honestly, if I'm going to be still on the uh, the food topic, any book by Janine Roth about emotional eating, because she really delves into why we eat instead of just for hunger because no let's be honest who the fuck eats out of hunger not me <laughs> so we all because we're so unhappy yeah. we want to celebrate we want to stuff emotions that's a genius a bunch of books by her too so yeah and i have tons that i haven't even read yet that are just sitting in a pile but i'm like okay i got 40 more years left i'll do it then
1: and then uh, i to actually my follow to that was what's the most i wouldn't say craziest but you know with with Obviously, with with medicine now, there's ayahuasca. There's these retreats. There's these silent retreats. There's sound bathing. Have you done any of that stuff? Like the ayahuasca? No, no.
0: I was never a drug or alcohol person. I never liked the taste of booze. So, and I I literally smoked pot maybe five times and always hated it. I always would try it again to see if I liked it, but then I'd get all paranoid and hungry and then just fat. So. I didn't bother with that anymore. And I've never tried other drugs because, you know, my parents scared the crap out of us. So my drug was always food and men. But here's the thing. I love this silent retreat. You wouldn't believe it. You've Uh, done it. You've done it twice. I love it. There's two. Wow. I go Kripalu, which is in the Berkshires, this meditation and. Yeah, I've literally yeah, yeah.
2: never even heard of Silent Retreat. You just don't talk. Oh, my God. You just go away
1: and you just it, it, don't talk. It's so crazy. I mean, it's not crazy, but it's, it's very amazing. interesting. You'd go, you could go Because you could
0: really – you have to deal with yourself and your own thoughts. You can't have phones. You can't cloud yourself with other people's BS by what you're hearing or, saying, or uh, uh, talking about. You can't stuff anything. It's freaking great. And also sometimes we just need silence. Like – The other day I was trying to just sit there for a minute and regroup and I go, let me turn on because my big pleasure is Law and Order Special Victims Unit because I'm like, oh my God, Mariska Hargitay, you're a gangster, you're helping everybody (laughs) and fuck these rapists. I'm taking a big stand, right? (laughs) Fuck those rapists. So I go, look, I couldn't even watch that because I said, I just need silence. So yeah, I do like kind of stuff like lightweight like that but I don't ever do a drug or anything. Cause I'm like, that's just not me. I mean, you know, and also, you know what the best way to actually get some freaking peace into your life it's, and it's probably the easiest thing for anyone to do, but they all make excuses about how they're too busy. So I had somebody tell me, get a freaking dog, get a serv not a service animal, get a adopted a dog. Because let me tell you something, there is nothing like taking care of something else to take you out of yourself which is why I think I really like service now to other people and to the dog. I mean, you just feel like responsible. You're not a big fucking infant just taking care of yourself all the time.
2: Yeah. Wow. I got to say dogs are are one of the best things because there's, there's an unconditional love that dogs give you that no one else on the planet will give you, but a dog will be happy every time you walk in the door.
0: Well, dude, I'll tell you what, last night, even, you know, I still struggle with a lot. I'm, absolutely open with what i struggle with i have enormous volume problems i i talk too loud when i'm mad people mistake it as yelling i'm italian so it's just talking but people get real some people who are more sensitive which is fine really get upset and they really get hurt and i'm like holy shit i didn't even think i was yelling that's how nuts i am so i go to anger really quickly Well, I got to work on that. So I was on the phone last night because I was really sad about it. I go, "Wow, I'm not even fixed yet after all this. And I started crying to a friend on the phone. My dog literally runs up to me looking so concerned, licking my face. And I'm like, dude, sometimes that's what we need because who else is licking my face? Nobody. (laughs)
2: I'm sure there's someone out there that wants to lick your face, especially after you just told him that you love servicing people.
0: Oh my God, you're so close. <laughs> it's so not true. Did you know I've been celibate for six and a half years?
2: Wow. I oh don't know God. if I'm supposed to congratulate that? you or what please I'm supposed do to say because
0: that? no, please do because that thing had to be closed for business after my last marriage. I was like <laughs> I, I always feel like I never want to date again. It's so fantastic. It's so freeing. But you know, as I've been telling people. If I meet some freaking Hari Krishna or some crazy bastard in a yoga robe, even though he's white, I may have to date. Who mm-hmm. knows? And <laughs> you'll be the first person I tell—not that—not that, not that Dex Shepard guy. Yeah,
2: screw him. Who cares about his little podcast?
0: <laughs> That's right.
2: <laughs> well, thank you so much, Lisa. It's so good to talk with you. Lisa, so thank good you to catch so up.
1: much. You're, you're. It's so cool to talk to you as a comedian and it's, it, what you're doing now. It, I, you know, you're helping so many people and, you know, for them, for people like normal people all over the world to have access to you is so cool, especially for someone who's been so successful, then also be so Reachable, I think, is just so yeah. Cool. I love that. I, it's just, it's I, really thank amazing. you so much.
0: I love that part of it that I'm like, Oh, email me because it's just like, What's the worst that can happen? I ignore your dumb ass. <laughs> so, but uh, just as a shameless plug, I just want to say one last time if people are interested in my workshops or my storytelling shows, which by the way are very comedic and full of laughter, but also a little message for you go to lisa lisalampanelli.com. If you can't spell that, you're just too dumb to come to a workshop. <laughs> and uh, if you're interested in a little life coaching, that's, uh, I will say fairly deep, but I make it as painless as possible. Shoot me an email at that website.
2: Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Very Good cool. luck with all of this. Hopefully one of these days, uh, I can come out and see you uh, do some storytelling. Cause it would Absolutely. be really fun to see you in a different light. But uh uh-huh. Thank, Thank you, you again. And uh, like uh, like she said, log on to lisa LisaLampanelli.com. And you can also follow her on social media uh, at lisa LisaLampanelli. You can follow Adam or myself. And uh, we will see you guys next week. Adam, you got anything else you want to say?
1: Subscribe. Write a comment. Hopefully it's good. And uh, thankfully- hey, We'll Woo! take bad
2: too. Constructive bad criticism. We love it. <laughs> Bye, guys. <laughs> Bye.